As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. everyone. It is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 101 and today we're talking about heart block. So two things before we get started. Item number one, if you're sitting at your desk or yeah, I think that's it. If you're sitting at your desk, can we change that up? Can you put on your running shoes, your walking shoes, and get outside for a little bit. If that's not going to work, can you go fold the laundry, maybe get something done around the house that'll make you feel more in command of your home life. Maybe you're commuting, driving to class, driving to clinicals. That's fine. That's allowed. I'll allow that. But if you're just sitting at your desk, I want you to get up and move your body or do something productive but mindless so that you can still pay attention. I'm a huge fan of multitasking. So if you can multitask and do something good for you or something that's going to help you feel like you're getting caught up with things, that'll relieve your stress for me. Sometimes that's putting away the dishes, doing the laundry, organizing a closet, whatever it is. I don't know. I get great joy out of doing things like that. Like that. So if you're sitting, get up, let's get moving. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road, but your ears open, and let's get to talking about heart blocks. First, though, I do want to give a big thank you to Shamir, who writes one of my favorite podcast reviews ever, and it's titled Thank You from Alaska. And I love this because my husband is just dreaming of going to Alaska. So I made sure that I shared this one with him. And Shamir says, Nurse Mode discusses engaging relevant topics with just the right level of detail. I live in rural Alaska and often play straight A nursing on my speaker when I'm out on hikes alone. There are some mountain valleys where the only human voice heard all year is likely Nurse Mo. Thanks for getting me through nursing school and into my first job. I think that is so fun. And I love that. And maybe my voice kind of scares the moose and the bears and the mountain lions or whatever scary creatures live up in Alaska, um, scares them away from, you know, doing anything scary. (laughs) So thank you, Shamir. I appreciate that so, so much. And now let's get to talking about heart blocks. So for those of you in advanced med surge, this is for you. For those of you on telemetry in the ICU, you're definitely going to be encountering these. If your first semester, you might not have the background electrophysiology information yet, but that's fine. Go ahead and listen because you will still get something out of it. And then when you are introduced to this concept in your advanced med surge course, I promise it will make even more sense and be more clear for you then. 
So when we're talking about heart blocks, we're talking about um, AV blocks, blocks around that AV node. So as you all know, or we'll learn soon, the electrical conduction in a sinus rhythm originates from the SA node, that sinus node, and then it travels to the AV node and from there down into the ventricular conduction system. So when we say someone has a heart block, you may hear it called an AV block. We're talking about blocks around that AV node or that ventricular conduction system. So we'll be talking about first degree heart blocks, second degree type one heart blocks, second degree type two, and third degree heart blocks today and keeping those all straight and being able to identify them. So in very, very simple terms, that AV block is formed when that conduction from that impulse that originates above the ventricle, that conduction through the AV node or the ventricular portion of the electrical conduction system, typically we're talking about the bundle of his, when that is either partially or completely blocked from reaching the ventricles, then we have a heart block. In very general terms, that first degree block, that happens when none of the P waves are actually blocked. They still get through. That's called a first degree block. When some of those P waves are blocked, it's considered second degree block. And when all of the P waves are blocked, then that is considered a third degree block. And don't worry, we're going to go into each one in more detail. Before we jump into them, just a quick reminder that the P wave on your ECG, that is the atrial contraction, that atrial depolarization. That's represented on your ECG tracing as that P wave. And then that ventricular depolarization is represented by the QRS. And those are the two main components that we'll be looking at when we look at an ECG tracing and we want to identify if a heart block is present, and if it is, what type it is. So looking at a first degree heart block, we're going to be looking at the distance between the P wave and the QRS. That's called the PR interval. You may hear it referred to as the PRI. It's the PR interval, the distance between the P wave and the QRS. And what that represents is time. How long does it take for that conduction to go from supraventricular, so up in the atria, down into the ventricle. So the P wave again is that atrial depolarization and then the QRS is the ventricular depolarization. And normally the time that it takes is measured in seconds and it's point one, two on the low end and up to 0.2 seconds on the high end. So the range for a normal PR interval is 0.12 to 0.2. And when that 
interval is longer than that 0.2, that's considered a delay. That's considered a long PR interval or a long PRI. And when your PR interval is increased above 0.2, we're looking at a delay. We're looking at a first degree heart block. So when you guys are looking at an ECG, one of the very first things that I look at when I just want to get a quick glance to see if everything's normal is usually the first thing that's noticeable that will stand out to you is if the rhythm is regular or not. And if it's irregular, that's a whole other thing. We'll talk about that in a moment. But if it's regular, then the next thing your eye is going to go to, and you'll get used to this as you practice doing ECGs and analyzing them. The next thing your eye is going to go to most likely is are there P waves and are they present before every QRS? So in the case of a first degree block, you will have a P wave for every QRS, okay? So in this way, a first degree block isn't really blocking conduction, it's delaying conduction. So calling it a block may be a little bit of an oversimplification. Think of it as a delay. The impulses are still getting through, they're just taking a little bit longer. So when you're looking at your ECG and you're looking at the the regularity in a first degree block, it'll be regular. And then you look for that P wave and you will see a P wave for every QRS. But what you will notice about that PR interval is that it's a little bit long. And that is the nutshell of a first degree block. Now, what we do for that typically not a lot. We just monitor it. We might measure it a few times a shift to see if it's getting any longer and also to see if the patient goes into a higher degree block, a second or God forbid, a third degree block. But mostly with a first degree block, and I see a lot of patients fresh out of surgery in first degree block where their PR interval is like right there on the edge at like 0.21, 0.22, a little bit delayed. And then as they're recovering from the anesthesia, that PR interval shortens. I don't know the pathophysiology behind that. I do know that anesthesia does all kinds of crazy things to the body, which is why patients come to a specialized unit to recover, but it's just something that I've noticed. So for the most part, patients with a first degree block, there's really not anything that we do for that as long as their rate is fine and they're not so bradycardic that they are symptomatic. We don't typically do anything besides monitoring it. Now, I will say that if you are taking care of a patient and you do notice that do notice that they have a first degree block you want to look back and see if it's new because any change in patient condition you definitely want to let the MD know and you would also be highly suspicious that maybe we're giving them a medication that is causing this first degree block so if your patient is on any kind of medication that does any kind of blocking like um 
say, a beta blocker, you might want to be a little bit more aware of that if you're giving your patient a medication like that. And you definitely would want the MD to know, especially if their PR interval is on the longer side. So first degree block, typically it's simply a continue to monitor situation. The patient's usually asymptomatic. Maybe they're in first degree block all the time and they don't even know it and they're doing just fine. But as we get into the higher degree blocks, you're definitely going to up your level of monitoring and the things that we do to intervene. Now, it's not to say that a patient with a first degree block wouldn't be getting their labetalol. I just want you to keep an eye on that PR interval and make sure that the MD knows that they are in a first degree block. Typically, it's the higher degree blocks that we would see a MD maybe hold the labetalol, but I just want you to be aware of it. And then the other thing to know is that that PR interval can sometimes be so long that the P wave is obscured by the T wave. So if you're looking at a patient's ECG and you don't see a P wave, but you see normal QRS complex complexes, which are those narrow QRX complexes, which as you know, hopefully, if you haven't yet learned this, it's okay, you will. But if you've taken electrophysiology um, lecture in your advanced med surge, you know that a conduction that comes from the atrium is going to have that narrow QRS complex. So if you see no P wave, but you see a narrow QRX complex, you know that it's from the atrium that where it was originated. So you can be suspicious that their first degree block is so severe that the P wave is hiding in the T wave. So go and look at your T waves very carefully and see if you notice any strange morphology, any strange shape, and maybe that little lump or little bump in there is a P wave. You may not see it at all. It depends on where the P wave lands in the T wave, but just know that it can be hidden in the T wave. So to sum things up with your first degree block, you have a P wave for every QRS. The PR interval is consistent, but it is longer than 0.2 seconds. Okay, you've got that. Now let's go on to talking about the second degree blocks. And we'll start this with second degree block type one. The thing that is going to probably drive you the most bonkers with the second degree blocks isn't recognizing them. It's naming them. I am sorry to tell you this, but a second degree block type one has three different names that it is referred to. First, you may just hear it called second degree type one. That's my preferred way to call it because it's simple and it makes the most sense. But you also may hear it called Mobitz one. You also may hear it called Winky Bach. So, Second degree block type 1, also known as Mobitz 1, also known as Winky Bach. Okay, you got that? I apologize. I wish someone would fix it and just call it one thing. I don't know why there's two names. I think maybe there was a Dr. Mobitz and a Dr. Winky Bach. Maybe they need to have an arm wrestling championship and see who comes out on top. I don't know. But just so you are aware, you will see Mobitz 1 or Winky Bach or simply second degree type 1. 
And with this type of second degree block, some impulses are blocked. So remember, in the first degree block, not really blocked, more like delayed. In the second degree block type one, what you'll see is that PR interval gets progressively longer. It'll start out pretty normal, then the next one's a little longer, then the next one's a little longer, maybe one more long one, maybe not, but at some point, it drops completely. So what you'll see is PR interval, longer PR interval, longer PR interval, a P wave with no QRS. It is dropped. The conduction did not get through. Okay, so that is the hallmark of second degree type one. It's pretty consistent as you look at it. And whether it's three beats and then one dropped beat or four beats and then one dropped beat, doesn't really matter. What you're going to see, though, is that progressive lengthening of the PR interval, and it'll be consistently progressive, okay? And then you'll see the dropped beat, and then that very next one, you're back to your first position, and then the next one a little longer, the next one a little longer, and then you'll see your dropped beat, and then back to that, you know, maybe that first one is a normal PR interval, and then they just get longer and longer and longer and then dropped. So typically for these, we don't, again, do a lot for this. This was definitely be a continue to monitor, continue to monitor carefully because the thing about heart blocks is that they can progress. And what you would definitely want to know is if your patient goes into a second degree type two block. Now for a second degree block where you are dropping a beat Every now and then, you do want to make sure that the patient is asymptomatic. So anytime you have dropped a ventricular contraction, remember the QRS is representing that ventricular contraction. Anytime you have conduction that's not happening, you don't have the ventricle contracting, this can affect blood pressure. It's definitely going to affect cardiac output, whether it affects it enough that the patient has asymptomatic hypotension Probably not, but you definitely want to watch for that. Again, the other thing you want to make note of is if this is new for the patient. So anytime you have a change in your conduction, you want to see, has this been occurring? Is the MD aware and is the patient stable or are they unstable? If this dropped beat puts them into a bradycardia that is significant enough to affect their hemodynamics, then yeah, we're going to do something about it. Uh, things that might be done are transcutaneous pacing. Maybe the patient needs atropine. They're definitely going to need some way to keep their heart rate up, to improve their cardiac output, to get their hemodynamics dynamics back in line. So some of the things that can cause a type one second degree block, see, I have to think about it because there's so many different names. What was I going to call it? Was I going to call it Mobitz one or Winky Bog for you guys? Um, some of the causes of this are it could be due to coronary artery disease. It could be because the patient has had an MI. It could be because of drugs that are slowing that AV conduction. Um, also, I've seen mitral valve prolapse be listed as a cause. So just be aware of what's going on with your patient, things that might put them at risk for 
for a second degree block and then noting that if they do go into it, making sure that they are stable and that the MD is aware of that change in condition. Okay, so now let's move on to a slightly higher degree of heart block, and this is second degree type 2. It also has more than one name. It is also called Mobitz 2. So Mobitz must have been a super cool guy to get two heart blocks named after him. Mobitz 1, which we talked about a moment ago, and now we have Mobitz 2. And I think Mobitz 2 is a little bit easier to recognize on your ECG because it's simply a dropped QRS. So you'll have regular PR intervals and everything looks normal and fine. It's just that every now and then there's a dropped beat. You'll have a P wave with no QRS. And then at the next interval, you'll have a P wave followed by a QRS just like normal. So when you're looking at Mobitz 2 or second degree type 2, you'll see consistent normal PR intervals, consistent spacing between your P waves, but every now and then a missing QRS. Now, it's very important for you to note that a Mobitz 2 is definitely more clinically significant than your Mobitz 1. It's typically considered a permanent conduction deficit, so it's not like your patient's going to go in and out of this. And there is a higher chance that from Mobitz 2, they'll go into a third degree heart block, also called a complete heart block. So that is very dangerous, and we definitely want to be careful and watch for that. With your Mobitz 2, the patient is more likely to have bradycardias, is more likely to have dangerously low blood pressures as well. Um, some of the things that can cause a second degree type 2 is a MI, a myocardial infarction, uh, and rheumatic heart disease, and some medications. The thing that you absolutely need to know about this is that the patient is likely to have a symptomatic bradycardia, or progress to a symptomatic bradycardia, or progress to a third degree block, which we will talk about next. You may hear third degree heart block, like I mentioned a moment ago, also called a complete heart block. And I think that really sums up this very dangerous conduction deficit very well. In a third degree block, the impulse is going to originate up in the sinus node, but it is completely blocked at the AV node. Okay, that's why this is called a complete heart block. So when you are looking at the ECG of a complete heart block or a third degree heart block, you'll see P waves and you'll see QRS waves. And I do want to make a quick correction to something I said earlier when I mentioned that a narrow QRS is always originating from the atrium. You can have a narrow-ish QRS when the impulse originates from the bundle of his. Okay, so I... Um, Small correction from back when I was talking about the first degree block and how that P wave could be hidden in the T wave. Okay, so let's get back to the third degree heart block. So with this, you'll have narrow or wide QRS complexes, really depending on where that impulse originates, and you'll have 
P waves. The issue with the third degree heart block is that the P waves have no correlation to the QRS. So what you can do to analyze this is look at your P waves without really looking at the QRSs. Just look at your P waves. They will march out. When we say something marches out, what we mean is they are at a regular interval from one to the next, like soldiers marching very uniformly. So your P waves will typically march out just fine. You'll have a consistent length from one P wave to the next because the atria is contracting all on its own, doing just fine at its regular interval. The problem is these impulses are not getting through to the ventricle. Now, in order for the body to maintain cardiac output, the ventricles are going to fire independently, either at the bundle of his or maybe somewhere in the AV node. And if that occurs, your QRS is going to be more on the narrow side, or the firing could be lower down in the ventricle. In that conduction, it's going to create a wider QRS. The point is your QRSs will typically march out as well. But when you look at them, they have no relationship to the P waves. The ventricles are doing their own thing. The P, uh, the atria are doing their own thing. They're not communicating. There is a block there. And as you know, those ventricular based rhythms, those um, pacemakers in the ventricle are going to inherently fire at a slower rate than, say, the SA node. Now, you can have ventricular tachycardias, and that can occur, but the thing to know about this third-degree heart block is that your patient's relying on a ventricular pacemaker, very, very likely to be extremely bradycardic, have extremely low cardiac output, this is something that you have to jump on immediately. This is not a watch and wait. This is not a just continue to monitor. This is let the MD know stat. This patient's going to get transcutaneous pacing. Get those pacer pads on. This patient's likely going to be paced transcutaneously to get their heart rate up, to get their cardiac output up, to get their blood pressure up, and then be going to get a permanent pacemaker placed. Again, if the ventricles are pushing out at a rate high enough to keep cardiac output stable, your patient could be asymptomatic in a third degree block. So just because the patient looks okay doesn't mean that nothing is going on. You want to look at your ECG. If you see a third degree block, even if they're compensating fine right now with enough ventricular output, they could decompensate. So you absolutely have to let somebody know about this. And some causes of a third degree block include, again, acute myocardial infarction, any kind of conduction system disease could cause it, congenital heart disease, maybe the patient had some open heart surgery, it can occur with digitalis or digoxin toxicity, and some other medications. So definitely a medical emergency when the patient has a third degree block. Okay, you guys, I promised that we would talk about this in a fun way. And if you thought that part was fun, 
fun. Well, that's great, but actually I'm going to get to the fun part now. So an easy way to remember your heart blocks, and I'm not talking about, you know, the intricacies of measuring and the intervals and all of this. I'm just talking about keeping them straight in your head is to look at them like a relationship. So we have the atria being the wife and the ventricles being the husband. So remember the atria, it's the represented by that P wave. That's considered the atria depolarization. And then the ventricles, the QRS is that ventricular depolarization. So when their relationship gets troubled, we get into a block situation. So in a first degree block, remember that is the PR interval is long but it's consistently long. So the PR interval is normally 0.12 to 0.20, and a first-degree block is then going to be 0.21 or above. I think a very long first-degree or a very long PR interval at at a significant first-degree block is considered at around that 0.3 kind of time zone. So you're looking at anything above 0.21, and then up to that 0.3 is when that P wave could likely be hidden in that T wave like we talked about earlier. So in our relationship scenario with the first degree block, your husband, he's coming home late from work every single day. Granted, he comes home at the same time every day, but he's still late. And again, that's that longer than normal PR interval. It's always the same, but it's always delayed. Husband, maybe dinner's at six, but he gets home at seven o'clock every night on the dot. Consistent and late every single time, okay? That is your first degree block. Husband coming home late, but at the same time every single day. Second degree block type one, also known as Mobitz one, also known as Winky Bach. The husband, okay, not not your husband or my husband and not any of you guys listening. This is a, you know, kind of a jerk husband. He notices that there's this cute little brunette that works at the local sports bar down the street from his office, but he still wants to be a good husband. Okay. He's trying. So that first day he comes home on time. It's Monday night after work. He comes home on time like a good husband, but on Tuesday he stops by the bar. He comes home a little bit later. On Wednesday, he hangs around the bar until the brunette gets off work, so he gets home even later. And on Thursday, he says to heck with this, doesn't come home at all. But then he feels really bad about it. And the next day, he comes home right on time. But then the day after that, he can't help it. He stops by the bar, so he's a little bit late getting home. The next day, He really wants to see that cute brunette, so he waits for her to get off work. He comes home a little bit later that day. And then the next night, heck with this, doesn't come home at all. Feels terrible about it. The very next day, home on time like a good husband, and the cycle continues. And second degree block type one, the husband comes home on time, and then a little bit later, then a little bit later, Then a little bit later, 
then he doesn't come home at all. Then he comes home right on time, then comes home a little bit later, a little bit later, a little bit later, then doesn't come home at all, and the cycle continues. So in that second degree block type one, your first PR interval is normal, the next one's a little longer, the next one's a little longer, the next one's a little longer, and then it drops. That's not to say that it's always three beats and then a dropped beat. It could be even less. So just being aware that it's an increase and then a dropped beat and then a normal beat and then an increase and then a dropped beat. Okay, so that is second degree block type one. In second degree block type two or Mobitz two, in this relationship, the husband is just randomly going to not come home at all some days. When he does come home, he comes home on time, but random days, he just doesn't come home at all. And that is your P wave, normal interval with the PRI, but every now and then there's a P wave that doesn't have a QRS. So that's the husband just randomly not coming home. And then with that third degree block, this is that complete heart block. And in this level of the relationship, things have just gone really bad for our couple. And they're not even really communicating at all. The wife is doing her own thing. The husband is doing his own thing. They aren't even talking to each other anymore. They're essentially living separate lives until they get their divorce negotiations worked out, I guess. So on the ECG, you'll see the P waves. Again, they're marching up beautifully. The wife is doing her own thing. She's living in her half of the house. And the QRS is marching out as well. Husband's doing his own thing, living in his half of the house, and they're not even talking to one another. And again, this is that very bad situation where that patient is going to probably be getting a pacemaker, a transcutaneous pacemaker, and then a permanent pacemaker placed. So I hope that helps you kind of remember the heart blocks with the little um, relationship example. And now let's do a little bit of a pod quiz to see if you're really grasping this concept. Okay, so looking at a PR interval that is 0.23 for every every QRS, what kind of heart block is that? That would be your first degree block. Very good. So what is a normal PR interval? A normal PR interval is 0.12 to 0.20. Very, very good. Okay, so let's say you're looking at your ECG and you notice that you've got progressively longer PR intervals. That QRS is just coming a little bit later, a little bit later, a little bit later, and then it's dropped. What kind of heart block is that? Very good. If you said second degree type one, A plus. If you said wanky bock, A plus. If you said Mobitz one, A plus. Okay, very good. Now you're looking at your ECG and you might see some wide complex QRSs. 
and you see P waves. There, there's plenty of P waves on the screen. There's plenty of QRSs on the screen. Your patient's blood pressure, however, is 75 over 42. What the heck could be going on? What do you want to look at that ECG for? What kind of heart block would you think is probably happening? Yeah, so if you saw that, you could be looking at a third degree or a complete block. So you'd want to get um, print out a strip, get out your calipers, and look at that relationship between the P waves and the QRS. And you'll probably quickly realize that they're not correlating one to the other. And then what would you do about this? You're definitely going to be alerting someone, right? Let the MD know stat and getting those pacer pads on the patient. And most likely that patient's going to be getting transcutaneous pacing. They're going to be seeing a cardiologist. They're probably going to be getting a pacemaker placed, all of that. Now, if the um, cause of it was just a digoxin toxicity, like we talked about earlier, maybe they get transcutaneous pacing until they can get the digoxin reversed. Um, obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm just guessing, but that seems reasonable to me. Um, okay, let's do another one. Let's say you're looking at the ECG and you've got, you notice that it's kind of irregular. Um, remember, I said when you're looking at the ECG, one of the first things that your eye, as you get it trained, to notice is if the beat is regular or not. And you notice there's some irregularities, and you realize, hey, there's, you know, I've got QRSs going along, and then all of a sudden there's a gap and there's one missing. And you notice that the PR intervals are all the same, and then you get to that dropped beat. What kind of heart block is that? Very good. That would be that second degree type two. If you said Mobitz two, you also get an A plus for that one. Okay, you guys, that was a lot. I know it's kind of hard to talk about ECGs when you're not actually looking at a tracing. So I hope that this helps kind of supplement what you're learning in your advanced med surge class when you learn electrophysiology and learn how to recognize arrhythmias and I hope that the relationship analogy kind of helps you remember, you know, you've got the husband and the wife, and with that first degree block, that QRS is a little bit later, but it's always the same amount of a little bit later. So the husband's coming home late, but it's the same late every single day. And the second degree type one, the husband comes home later, and then even later, and then even later, so that QRS is delayed longer, longer, and longer until the husband doesn't come home at all. That's the second degree type one, Winky Bach, Mobitz one. And then when the husband just randomly picks different days of the week to go hang out with the brunette at the sports bar, but every other day he comes home right on time for his six o'clock dinner, that is a second degree type two, also called Mobitz two. And then when the wife's doing her own thing, living in her half of the house, and the husband's doing his own thing, living out in the, um, what was that in the Sopranos where Tony moved out to the media room? 
Yeah, that's how that's a third degree heart block right there. When Carmela was living in the house and Tony was living out in the guest cottage slash media room. There you go. That's the perfect example. So I hope that that helped you guys. And I just wanted to let you know if you are starting nursing school soon and you're looking for some extra support, some extra guidance, I do have a book that I wrote for you guys starting nursing school, and it's called Nursing School Thrive Guide, and it is available on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and you search for that, then you will absolutely find it. And it comes in paperback if you want that. It comes in a Kindle book if you want it right now, right this minute. And it also comes in an audiobook if you love listening um, while you're driving. So I hope that helps you. I hope you guys have a fantastic week coming up. And then next week, let me tell you what we're talking about. Next week, the topic is, oh, this is a good one. How to deal with difficult patients and difficult families. So we'll be talking through some strategies for that. So I will see you then. Have a great week, everyone. And bye for now. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.